Thank you so much for checking out my podcast. I'm grateful that you are here. If you didn't notice, you will. We keep these completely ad free and we want to keep it that way. So if you want to consider partnering with us on Patreon, that is the best way to support what we're doing here. Now, if you're like Ruslan, a monthly contribution on Patreon, that's too much. I have commitment issues. That's okay. Check out the show notes below and you'll also see links to a one-time PayPal donation, a Venmo, or even a cash app. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you tuning in. Now enjoy this episode. Ruslan. Without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we have a fantastic guest with us today, uh, New York Times bestseller, author of multiple books, John Acuff. Yeah. He's here. Look He's at that. here. Look at, look at that. How about it, buddy? Good to see you. Man, I'm so happy uh, you're here. We've gotten a chance to uh, know each other a little bit, but uh, you, one thing you don't know, and I, I said this to you offline a little bit, man, Quitter I came out about 10 years ago, yeah. Yeah. is one of the most impactful books uh, on my life. It's so impactful that it's actually been in all of my YouTube video descriptions. It's one of like top eight books I recommend. Uh, so oh, you're man. up there That's with awesome. like uh, Blue Like Jazz, yeah, um, Disciplines of Grace. Uh, so, dude, I'm so happy you're here. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, you got your start as you were doing a blog called uh, Stuff Christians Like. Yep. And you've been able to just keep building on top of that. Uh, and Quitter, I think, was like the the first real book that established you and really kind of, from for my vantage point, blew blew you up. Um, talk about that, that early season a bit, man. If we could jump into that and and kind of what you were going through when you wrote that, because I think that's where a lot of folks start is. I, I want to do something entrepreneurial, but they're not really being faithful to what's in front of them in in, in the current season. Um, so yeah. so just let, let's unpack that a little bit. And then I want to obviously talk about the new book soundtracks, which is amazing as well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was I was early 30s and I hit uh, hit a ceiling. I hit kind of a career ceiling. I topped out, if you will. I was a senior content designer at a company and there was no super duper senior content designer position above that. And so it was humbling, it was confusing, it was scary. Like you don't wanna finish your career at 32. Like you hope you top out in your 50s, your 60s. So I felt stuck. And so mm. I had two kids under the age of four, I had a beautiful wife, I had a day job, and I started to do some freelance writing and I started to go, okay, is, could I build an audience? Could I write online? Because all of a sudden there was this level playing field. I mean, what we're doing right now is impossible 30 years ago. Yeah. Like you couldn't get an audience. You have 83,000 monthly uh, listeners on Spotify. Dude, if this was the 60s, what would you do? You'd have to own a radio station. Right, right, You'd have, right. you know, and so for me, I started to write online. I started to kind of explore. And then I did a blog for about a year that nobody read. And then I started this other one, Stuff Christians Like, which was just a ripoff kind of riff of another idea. Somebody had a blog called Stuff White People Like. And I always thought it was funny <laughs> that Christians rip off popular ideas. Like we take something that the world does, then we put a Christian spin on it and we do our version. And it's usually whack. And so I said, stuff Christians like num idea number one, ripping off popular culture. And I talked about that as a problem. And I just started writing funny things that as believers, I think we do. And then it started to kind of take off from there. But it was really about being patient in it. I always tell people like, if you've got a side hustle you're working on, 
for example, you can't be lazy at your day job and think you'll crush your side hustle. You're teaching yourself mm. five days a week to be lazy. And then you think Come you're going to hustle on Saturday. No, on. you practiced 40 hours of laziness. You don't flip a switch on Saturday. So like how you pour into your day job contributes how you crush your side hustle. And so for me, it was about, okay, I'm going to do this the right way. I'm going to be patient with it. I'm not going to, you know, try to force it. I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. and carve out time. I'm going to watch less TV. Like, do the average American watches 34 hours of TV a week, according to Nielsen. So, like, when people tell me they're too busy and then they tell me about their seven fantasy football teams, like, I'm like, oh, I'm about to blow your mind. Like, I can find some time in your week. So that was kind of the process was, like, brick by brick, just building it and being faithful to the process. That's so amazing. Um, I don't want to get too too far in the weeds, but you made this interesting point. You said historically Christians have kind of jacked culture, right? Yeah. And, and kind of made yeah. it on. And I think you're 100% true. I mean, you're 100% right. But I also know you're a Kanye fan because you talk about sure. some Kanye quotes in a soundtracks book. Yeah. Um, what, do you, what do you make of what seems to be this new iteration where it almost seems like we're going back to how gospel music influenced blues and then blues yeah. influenced rock. And it seems like we've kind of came full circle where a lot of the top tier artists, Kanye, one, arguably one of the most influential, uh, is now making music for Christ. He took out the cussing on Donda. You know, he put out Jesus is King, Jesus is Born. As a Kanye fan, as a creator, what do you make of all that? Yeah, well, I mean, I just, you know, I always uh, I always joke that, like, it's always fascinating me when it comes to God and creativity, because that's what we're talking about with that question, that, like, I love when we'll discover, like, three miles deep in the ocean in the Mariana Trench, some, um, you know, some jellyfish that no human's ever seen, and it'll be polka dotted. And you're like, why is that polka dotted? Well, for thousands of years, the only one getting delight out of that was God. Like, that's how creative he is. Like, he's hidden jellyfish at the bottom of the ocean we've never seen that are striped and neon blue. And it's like, I'm creative. So I think it's natural for some artists like Kanye to go, man, when I connect with God, mm. like, there's a creative source there that I've never experienced before. And so I think that's sometimes what happens is you go, wow. Like, and if you think about it, like, the world didn't have to be beautiful. Like whenever we as humans design a future world in movies, it's gray. We're all wearing the same gray unitards. It's, it's all dystopian. <laughs> it's dystopian. Like God didn't have to make the Rockies. He didn't have to make the ocean. And so like, I think guys like Kanye, when they bump into that reality of like, whoa, maybe I grew up with a kind of black and white version of God that was kind of boxed in and wasn't creative. And then as I actually get a personal relationship, I go, Oh my gosh, like he's painting with a palette we don't have access to, like, but he shares it. Like as we draw close to him, like, wow. I think I think in moments like that, it's almost impossible not to kind of create with that in mind. If you, you know, in the in the context of a personal relationship. Do you think that's kind of the, the key in unlocking creativity for the people who aren't Christian? Like when, when they unlock and understand that God is a creative God, that, that everything isn't binary. Some things are obviously, but everything isn't binary. And then that kind of becomes the the appeal of this personal Jesus that's not this rule stickler and making you how always having to tuck in your shirt, right? And I think, yeah. it, it, this, do you think that's what opens up creatives to saying, Oh, I'm in. And then those yeah. are the, those are the, those are the culture makers then. I think, I mean, like for me, I think it's just when you bump into who God really is, who Jesus really is. And like, it's not like it's hidden. I mean, like the Bible, like, 
you know, one of my favorite stories that a lot of what I write about comes from is Luke 15, the prodigal son story. And I always tell people like, it's wild that we have a God who fixes problems with a party. There's no other part of life that works that way. Like if you get in trouble at work, say you lose some account, whatever, you you know, you know, mess something up with a customer or a client, your boss doesn't call you in and go, hey, you blew it. So we're having a party. Like if you get in a big fight with your <laughs> wife, she doesn't go, I'm so mad that you lied to me. I'm so mad that you were deceptive. I got a bounce house. But in the prodigal son story, the prodigal returns and the problem is fixed with a party. So when you start to go like, whoa, wait a second, and you really start to kind of engage in like, here's this God that's crazy about me, that loves me, that says you ask and you so receive, like, you know, all things work together for the good. Like when you start bumping into that, and again, having a personal relationship versus going, I inherited this view of faith from this specific person. So I thought God was this shape. And you really start to walk in it and you go, whoa, it's bigger, it's better than I ever could have imagined. That's where I, I just think art is a natural extension of that. And your mm. art can be you create songs, your art can be mm. you write books, but it can also be you're kind to your neighbor. Mm. Like being kind to a neighbor who's not easy to be kind to is art. Mm. Like asking a question of a coworker who's going through a difficult situation, that's art. So I think yeah. as we engage with a creative God, it's almost impossible not to be creative ourselves. That's beautiful, man. Um, in terms of your your journey as a creative, it seems like you've been able to really flourish as a follower of Jesus in the marketplace. In terms of the general market, your books aren't necessarily like like over uh, uh, soundtracks isn't like a Christian yeah. book. The, Quitter is not a Christian book. book. Yeah. They're business books, and, yeah. and yet your faith is, is rock solid. How do you navigate that space of being a Christian follower of Jesus who is able to flourish in culture, in the business space, in the entrepreneurial space. Um, I know you do a lot of speaking at these big companies for all these employees and leaders, and you're there as a follower of Jesus. And I, I've never known you to like downplay that part or like hide that part of your life. How, how, do, how are you able to navigate those spaces? Well, I look at it the same way. I mean, there's a couple of different ways I talk about it. One is like, if a surgeon, if I'm having surgery and I'm about to go under anesthesia, I don't go, hold up real quick. What's your faith? Like, I want the bad, <laughs> I want the best surgeon. Like, I'm yeah. not like, hold on a second. No, this guy's Muslim. Find me somebody who's Christian, even if they suck at surgery. No, like, no, I want an amazing practitioner. So like for my, for my role, like I show up and I want to be the best keynote they've ever had. Like, my faith in, influences everything I do. But at the end of the day, if I roll into Comedy Central to deliver a keynote about how to accomplish your goals, you better believe much like a surgeon, I'm gonna crush that keynote. And I'm gonna say, here's the research, here's what we found, here's how to do it, here's the steps, here's the actions. So that's one part of it. Um, the second part of it, I had a NPR podcast ask me that question kind of, they're like, hey, growing up, your dad took you to comedy clubs. Like that's where some of my humor comes from. Mm -hmm. Like. That doesn't seem, and your dad's a pastor, that seems different than what we understand about the church. And I was like, well, not if you really read it. Like mm. if you read the Bible, Jesus was always going places that the religious might go, whoa, wait a second, wait a second. Yep. So Come that on. to me was just like, why would I not be there? Like that's where versus going, I hope people come to my church. So like, mm. I looked at it, I look at it that way that, you know, it's gonna, I wanna do it with excellence. Um, I wanna, you know, my books, soundtracks, do over, finish, quitter are research-based business books that help yeah. you change your life. 
do I, am I, you know, if you want to talk faith, if you want to ask questions about that all day, let's go there, but I'm going to be the best surgeon I can be. And you're not going to have to go, wait a second. Like, I just didn't like growing up. It, it killed me that if I saw an ichthus on somebody's business card, it usually meant they sucked at their job. Like it <sighs> meant like they weren't going to be the best. And I don't yeah. think that regardless of what you think, like that yeah. doesn't give our God a very good rep. Like if we go like, I'm going to be a terrible plumber, but I'm going to pray before <laughs> I mess up your toilet. Like, dude, no, I want yeah. my toilet to work. Like, what yeah. are you talking about? That's yeah. how I broke it. That's good. Okay. So I didn't know this about you until we just, we just got on, but you, you, you just mentioned your dad taking you to comedy clubs. Yeah. Um, and your dad was also a pastor, correct? If I'm yep. remembering correctly. Still is. Yeah. So how, uh, how have you been able to infuse that into what you do? You said you did an hour special at a, like a real venue comedy yeah. place in, in Nashville. That I, I said offline, like, I think that's arguably one of the hardest Oh, like yeah. I think cre creative awesome. expressions, man, is, is yeah. stand up. And I understand having it as a utility in your repertoire, whether you're doing a TED talk or whether you're doing a talk at a company. Mm -hmm. But how are you able to write books and be able to put together an hour long special at a real comedy store and, 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 and have not a comedy store, but a, but a real comedy venue and juggling that? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess I there's certain authors that want to stay in a cave and write books, and that's like that's their jam, and that's awesome. Like that's a different, that's a that's a great thing for me. I love to be on stage. Like I don't like I do the 36 hours of travel and all the stuff it takes for the half hour I get to be on stage. So mm. that to like sometimes people say to me, they'll go, man, you know, if you if you did more webinars, if you monetize, blah, 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 you wouldn't have to go do live events. And I, was, and I always feel like, would you ever say that to a musician? Would you ever say mm. like, hey, if you just <laughs> figured out how to do webinars, you'd never have to play guitar on stage. They'd be like, what are you talking? Like, yeah, that's yeah. the best part. That's yeah. the point. So for me, being on stage is part of the point. It's not like, oh, I love books and now I have to go be on stage. I love them both and the ability to share ideas and then go like, if you read my books, if you hear my audio books, cause I read them, like there's a performance element. So I think sometimes, you know, it's hard for writers to go from one to the other, but I've always loved both equally. And so I've tried to grow both of those muscles so that I can spend time alone in this office and work on an idea in isolation. But then I can also, take an idea that I've created here and put it on stage, whether that's a comedy club or a corporation and go, Hey, here's how I think this will help you. Here's how I think this will help your team. So I see them as, as kind of running in parallel, not in either or. That's dope. That that's, yeah, man, that's, that's, that's really, that's really interesting because it almost sounds like you are a speaker personality and one of your disciplines is is writing is that, is that a fair uh, totally assessment? totally okay. yeah i yeah i uh i love speaking dude like i yeah. it's amazing to me it's so fun so yeah i you know i i think i will have done maybe 45 events this year which is a blast and so like i and that's a good kind of range for me so yeah i i think it's the best job in the world i can't yeah like I tell everybody I can, like, you should try this. This is amazing. So yeah, I, that's not a, I have to do it cause I write books. It's I get yeah. to do it cause I write books. That's so cool. It, so was building out your brand. I, I know that's kind of a generic word, but your, your, your platform as an mm -hmm. author, 
like, did you love the writing side as, as much as the speaking side or was it kind of a means to an end? And I'm not trying to poop on any aspiring authors, but like you kind of understood you needed to build this multidimensional platform to, to, I, to get your Writing is out. hard. Writing is writing books is super hard to me. Like maybe there's other authors that it feels like running a field with a ribbon. Like it's hard. Like it's a discipline. It takes, you know, it's, it's very challenging for me. Writing books is very challenging. Um, but what I found is that I... I need that challenge. I need that discipline to create great ideas. Um, so for me, doing a book every two years or so is a is a really good challenge. It really forces my ideas to mature. It really forces me to get better at them. Um, and then, you know, I'll like if I'll do the work of creating the book, I can talk about that book for 10 years where, you know, if somebody said to me, hey, next week, can you talk about blank topic? I could probably mm -hmm. write a speech about it, mm -hmm. but it won't be like if I spent two or three years, did research with a PhD that helps mm -hmm. me with research and like then created something that I can, you know, I'm still talking about elements of, of books, you know, like finish and do over came out like six or seven, eight years mm -hmm. ago. And I'm still going, here's something because I did the upfront work. So yeah, that I don't, I don't see it as a means to an end. I see it as a, like, I don't see a time where I'll ever, as long as I'm doing what I'm doing now, I'll always be putting books into the marketplace and I'll always be talking about them. That's an interesting perspective. So it's almost like you just immerse yourself in a specific topic with quality research, yeah. not Dunning-Kruger effect. You yeah. read a blog and then you do yeah. a speech on it. You're really immersing yourself. And then that gives you a repertoire of, of speeches and a hundred percent dude. Here's the thing. Huh. There's, I always tell people there's three things. Every best selling idea has in common. And I think this is true of an album. I think this, I, I had a, I did a podcast yesterday with a, a musician named Matthew West. And he was like, Oh man, songwriting is the same. I think it's true of a podcast, business album, whatever you need three things. One is a deep personal connection. You have to be deeply connected to the content. You can tell when an artist doesn't care about the song. You can tell when an author doesn't care about the topic. The second thing is you need to find a need. Do people actually need this? On, you know, in the comments, are they asking this question? When I'm out and about at events, are, is that crowd asking this question? Are my neighbors at the neighborhood pool asking this question? The third thing is you need to find your spot in the marketplace. You go, okay, is there room for me? So with the book Finish that I wrote, I was an inconsistent finisher. I was a chronic mm. starter and not a consistent finisher. Mm -hmm. And I was tired of that. I was tired of having 50 notebooks on my shelf that had 10 pages written in, and then I buy a new one and a new <laughs> one and a new one. Um, and so I had a need. And then I was like, let me go. I mean, I had a personal connection. Then I was like, do people need this? And so many people came up to me and were like, hey, I liked your book, Start. I wrote this book called Start about starting goals. But they'd say, you know, I've never had a problem starting. I can start a thousand things tomorrow. Like it's the reason, the reason I don't go on new podcasts when people ask me to, oh, I'd love you to be one of my first guests. You're going to quit in like six episodes. Statistically, <laughs> you're going to give up. So like I never do new podcasts because you're going to quit. You're yeah. going to suck. You're going to be the worst you've ever been in it. Mm -hmm. It'll be a bad experience for both of us. Go crush it for a year and then hit me back up. And so like. I found people needed the book and then I went to my marketplace, which is Amazon. It's the easiest ever to check a marketplace for an author. And I typed in the word finish and the only thing that came up was dishwasher detergent because we as a culture over celebrate the beginning and we ignore the end. We wow. say garbage statements like well begun is half done or the hardest part of any journey is the first step. And then you go, well begun is half done. If a surgeon said to you, as soon as I've made the first incision, Ruslan, I'm like halfway done with your surgery. You'd be like, dude, where did 
you go to school. Like <laughs> hardest part of a journey is the first step. That's not even a little true. We have launch parties. We have kickoff parties. Yeah. I've never been to a middle party. I've never yeah. had a manager or a boss say, we're at the worst part of the project. Time for middle cake. Let's go. Where do people cheer at marathons? <laughs> the beginning at the end, the yeah. middle is lonely. And so I knew once I have those three things, then I'm going to spend the time. Then I'm going to spend years. And as far as starting a book or a project, I tell people, find a question that won't leave you alone. Find a question that like that you're willing to like work on and think about and share for years because you're going to talk about it for years. So for me, how how can I learn to be a better finisher? Or hey, how can I turn overthinking from a super problem into a superpower? Like what mm. would that look like? What would that do in my life? And then what would it do in other people's lives? And then I'm willing to invest in that and spend a lot of time versus you know a one-off idea that I put a little bit of time into but fizzles out. That's so cool. With easy segue for us to get into the new book, Soundtracks, Overthinking. Reading your other books and, and hearing you talk and, and the, the whole bit, I, on the surface, it, it, it could come off to people like you're this like rah-rah, hyper-optimistic, yeah. super positive thinking. Because that's kind yeah. of the marketplace, right? Like the sure. business self-help yeah. side. It's like a yeah. lot of the Gary V energy, like rah, right? Sure. But yeah. as I got into this book, I'm like, well, wait a minute. John Acuff is kind of a... He's kind of a glasses half empty kind of guy, right? Oh, dude, I'm talk- super melancholy. I'm super <laughs> me- like I'm naturally melancholy. I tell yeah. people like I'm naturally like a crown- Counting Crows song. Like my wife and I went <laughs> to the Counting Crows like a month ago, and dude, they're so mopey, and I love it. She didn't like it, but they open with "Round Here," which, if you're not familiar with their music, it's a super slow, sad, eight minute long song. And like most artists, you know, they come out and they're like boom like they kicked the door down and they opened up around here and i was like it was amazing my wife was like it's so mopey but yeah i'm naturally melancholy naturally negative but i've learned over the years the value of positivity and so what i tell people all the time is fear comes free hope takes work fear will find you wow. negativity will find you you don't have to look for it you will be in the grocery store in the frozen food aisle and fear and negativity will go hey Remember that stupid thing you said last week? Remember that thing you failed that three years ago? And it'll hit you like a wave. You never have to look for it. Hope, on the other hand, you do have to look for. You do have to work on. Positivity is the same way. And it's true of all parts of life. No one accidentally gets in shape. I've never met a single person that goes, <laughs> Ruslan, you know, I was binge watching Squid Game on Netflix. And then all of a sudden I looked up, I was doing burpees. Like, I don't even know how it happened. That's not how life works. We naturally devolve. We have to proactively Whew. evolve. And so that's what that's how I approach it. That's so good. We naturally devolve. We have to proactively evolve. And I think what's beautiful about the, the book soundtrack is, is it is a very linear pathway to, yeah. to, to, to kind of re-envision on what our thought life can be. And a lot of times in the in the general marketplace, there's a lot of this kind of like manifestation think it and manifest it if you yeah. see it yeah. and believe it it'll happen yeah, to you. Yeah, you say it out loud <laughs> the universe conspires for you. Dude, the universe doesn't care about you. The universe is busy jamming ships in the Suez Canal. The universe does not care about you. So if I am in my office and I go, I believe I write books. That ain't it, dude. That ain't that doesn't fill those shelves. It doesn't. Yes. And so for me, the reason the book is actionable is that most times when you talk about mindset it's very holistic. It's very fuzzy. It's very like we're in a drum circle in Malibu and we're lighting sage. Like 
and it's and it all of a sudden you go, well, what do I really do with that on a Thursday? What do I do with that on a Tuesday? So the way I try to write books is I want you to go, oh, okay, I got some actionable things I can do. I can change that. I can do that in my own life. I can apply that. And there's a few ways I do that. But one way is I test the ideas with real people first. Mm -hmm. So we took a thousand people through this content. So when you read the book, there's 37 different stories that aren't mine. Like mm -hmm. I write sucky books if I'm the star of the book. I'm 45. Mm -hmm. Like God forbid I do another memoir book. Like I really haven't lived lived that long. Like <laughs> pump the brakes. But if I do the work and go, oh, this is how Carol, a single mom in Oklahoma, applied this principle, and then I give you that example, you get to see yourself in the book, not just a version of me. And that opens the book up to a much wider discussion. Yeah, and 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 what I love about the discussion is that it, it 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 fuses together the idea of of thinking and then the thinking turns into the internalizing and the way we feel and then the yeah. then the actions start to take place but if you're always in your head and you're always overthinking everything yeah. then there's there's less likelihood of there being action to actually accomplishing some of the things you're looking to accomplish because you just you're just all the negative things are yeah. flying out so um, let's get into the book because I think there's, there's 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 a lot to to unpack in the book. By the way, thank you for narrating your own audio books. Uh, I think the oh, audio yeah. book I did I did Quitter first, and then obviously this last time we did um, soundtracks. So first of all, thank you because I remember one time I got like a TD Jakes book, and I was like, man, this is gonna be good. And there's like some other guy with a terrible yeah. voice, and now. he has like, a great awful. voice. Like TD right? Jakes like, has an amazing, why powerful, would you not? like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, I don't, I mean, like his voice is a huge asset. Like, gosh, yeah. that guy fills stadiums with no mic, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I remember uh, Kevin Hart. I don't know if you've ever listened to Kevin Hart's book, but he did a, a narration of his own book, and it was yeah. incredible. And he'd go Same off, with Matthew off McConaughey. Script. Yeah, like yeah. totally. Like you want them to do it. Like that's why I do it. I think it's weird because my books are personal. It's weird if some dude is like. And then my wife, Jenny, said, like, you'd be like, who's this guy? Like, I, th now I would do it. I wish I had a British accent because if you have a British or an Australian accent, you destroy in this country. Like, you crush in America. Yeah. You can say the dumbest thing and people are like, man, he's got a British accent. He's that got a good point. Yeah. He's got yeah. a good point. We're like, I don't think you and I can go to Australia and people go, man, he sounds like he's from San Diego. We should listen yeah. to him. Like, dude, right. it only works one way. Only works only one, one way. way. So in, in terms of um soundtracks uh let, let, let let's let's dive into that um it, it's a book about overthinking it's a book about it's a, it's a book about overthinking and then it's also replacing the overthinking with with positive yeah. soundtracks and the first thing i, I want to point out is that and i've said this on the channel before i think a lot of our self-help stuff that's that's popular is a lot of kind of counterfeit stuff from proverbs i feel like it's it's a it's a copy of a copy of a copy mm -hmm. and it loses its meaning and i think one of the first books i read that was like a really helpful self-help book was actually the power of positive thinking which sounds super like you know, a uh, lot, whatever. But when you get into it, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's like a devotional book. Like it's a, there's a lot of scripture in it. It was, it's a very, very, very Christian book. And the, the soundtracks book, I think also has that same, like, man, this is, this is so good. And you, in the book, at one point we get to uh, you talking about Zig Ziglar and yeah. how you tried this experiment and then you kind of did a facelift for us. Can you, can we kind of unpack that in the, the, the power of affirmations? And, and again, that's the, this yeah. might sound kind of like wonky to some people who don't. Oh yeah, it should, it, you know? it should sound so, cheesy. I mean, I didn't, first of all, I didn't want to study affirmations. I was like, ugh. like, I, so if somebody right now is cynical or jaded on this, yeah. Amen. Me too. Me too. 
Um, I grew up with like Seinfeld, you know, Serenity Now and Saturday Night Live. Like it's good. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. Doggone it. People like me. Like I always like affirmations are the cheesiest, dumbest thing. But then I started talking to people I respected and looked up to. And mm. if you'd get them off mic, if you'd get them off camera, they'd all go, well, yeah, I, I have a mantra I do. Or, yeah, I give myself mm. a pep talk every afternoon. Or, yeah, I got a couple statements. Or, like, even the Army Rangers have a creed. Like, a creed mm. is an affirmation. You can call mm. it a creed, but they memorize this is who we are as an Army Ranger. Like, we are elite. Like, this is who we are. And so I was like, oh, no, I'm going to have to study this. Like, I can see other people using it. So I went to what I feel like is the source of the modern motivational movement. One of them in our, this country of uh, Zig Ziglar. And I'd had lunch with he and his wife years before he passed away. Um, and he had a set of affirmations that he encouraged you to read in the mirror in the morning and at night. And I was like, this is so cheesy. And my wife was like, you can't do it in our bathroom. We share. Cause I can't, like, I can't kiss you after hearing you be like, I'm confident. I'm like, and so I did it in the guest bathroom. Like, so don't think of me like I'm standing on a roof reading these. I'm like, oh my gosh. But I noticed like it started to change how I feel and it started yeah. to change how I think. And what I realized is like the way you think it's often like your brain just grabs the first thing that's on top. So if you've deliberately gone, okay, here's who I am. This is what I'm about. This is what I do. And you get in a situation and your brain goes, oh no, let me grab a thought. And the first one is because you've been working on this. It grabs that thought and it's easier to believe that. Mm -hmm. And so I did it myself. And then I took uh, thousands of people through it with the help of this guy, Mike Peasley, who's this PhD that helps me with research. And it helped people. Like we came up with 10 statements we called the new anthem. And it was stuff like momentum is messy. Um, and you know, these simple statements and the people that practice them, um, reduce their overthinking and they actually worked on their goal more. So there were a lot of other people, not just me that said, wait a second, this is actually helpful. I think, mm -hmm. I think the challenge is there's been so many cheesy motivation that you, there's really like, I, I did a podcast recently about what I call the sleep mafia, like people who shame you about that you don't get up early enough. Cause I saw somebody the other day that was like, I get up at two 45 AM to work out. And I was like that dude, the only person you should see at two 45 AM that early is you're a therapist, not a trainer. Like that is <laughs> like the rhyme I did. The rhyme I did was like, you need to be in rim, not the gym. Like at two 45, mm. you should be in yeah. rim sleep, not yeah. doing burpees. Like that's insane. But so there's so much kind of motivational noise that I think sometimes the foundational stuff, the truth gets covered in it and you don't have a chance to go, wait a second, this thing is actually good. This thing is actually true. How can I apply it? And that's what I felt like we did with affirmations. Yeah, it was, it was dope, man. And I intentionally, um, I, d I didn't talk about the book while I was going through it. Cause I don't like, uh, sharing stuff that I learned and just kind of going on YouTube and talking about yeah. whatever I just processed. So yeah. I did the affirmations for a month, morning, day, night. My wife was the same. <laughs> like, Oh gosh, yeah. you really going to do that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know, dude. It's <laughs> I know. I know. It was man. It, it was so good to, to, yeah. to do that, to make that discipline, to, uh, to kind of program your brain in the morning before I'm even fully awake, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm going over those. Yeah. Um, one of the things you talk about is uh, you talk about having these little phrases. And one of them you talk about pulling from Kanye, my life is dope and I do dope-ish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. totally. So you, you, some of these are also pulled from just interesting things that you're, that you, that you're, uh, you're seeing. Um, from the affirmations, you talked about, uh, well, I forgot the, the words you used, but there was uh, symbols or tokens. Symbols. Um, 
symbols. symbols. Talk talk about those and the significance of that. Yeah, so the book really walks you through three things. How to retire broken soundtracks, replace them with new soundtracks, and repeat the new ones so often they become as automatic as the old ones. And one of the ways you repeat something, and the reason you need to repeat it is often you've had this broken soundtrack for 10 years just running rampant, and then you learn this new one. It's like this tiny baby soundtrack. You put it up against this one that's been doing push-ups in the gym prison yard for 10 years, and you're like, <laughs> oh, it's weird that it didn't work. Well, it's not weird. Like It had no chance. Is You connect it to a symbol. And the book talks about the best brands in the world know this. Like there's a reason the Nike swoosh mark is so powerful. There's a reason mm. like the interesting one for me is Yeti. Like Yeti convinced you to put a sticker on your car, letting people know how you refrigerate stuff. Mm. No one in the 1990s had an igloo sticker on their car and was like, I want you to know how I keep things cold. Right. But Yeti understands they're a symbol. So the example I use is if you're gonna have a symbol and it doesn't have to be complicated, I'll show you one of mine that's on my desk. I'll just grab it. This is a pine cone uh, and this pine cone, is tied to the soundtrack don't miss it why mm. do i remember the phrase don't miss it because two weeks before the book came out i went to jackson hole with my family and i knew i was going to be tempted to be physically present and mentally absent i've had plenty mm. of examples in my life when i got a big project something stressful and i'm there with my family but i'm not really there mm -hmm. so i said before we went Okay, don't miss it. That's my soundtrack. I'm going to put that in my head. I'm going to work on that. And then when I was in Jackson Hole, I was present enough to notice, wow, these, these pine cones don't look like the ones I have in Nashville. And I, I picked it up off the street and I put it on my desk because there's going to be other moments where I'm tempted to miss something and I don't want to miss it and I need a reminder. And so mm. if you want to make a symbol, it's always three things. The, the three things that matter the most are it has to be personal. It has to be connected to you. Like my symbol, some people right now are like, that's dumb. It's a pine cone. Yeah, for, for you, it would be dumb. Like it has to be personal to you. The second thing is it has to be visible. You have to be able to see it. Uh, you can't take a, like a symbol and shove it in a drawer and then never see it again. I mean, the reality is you're wearing one right now. Like Ruslan, love what you do is not accidental. Like right. that's a soundtrack and you're wearing it. The third one is it has to be simple. It has to be mm. easy to use. If you overcomplicate the system, you'll never use the system. Yeah. So the example I always use is Nike. One of the greatest examples of a symbol was the Livestrong bracelets. And there's, you know, it follows all three principles. Number one, it was personal. No one you ever meet goes, no, I don't know anybody that has cancer. I just wear this bracelet because I hate diseases. Like I also have like an eczema necklace, you know, like nobody, no, they'd always say, my mom passed away from cancer. Mm -hmm. My uncle had cancer. Like it was personal. The second thing, it was visible. Nike could have made it flesh color. They could have made it gray. They didn't. They made it bright yellow. So it was mm -hmm. visible. And the third was it was simple. No one was confused how to put on a bracelet. Nobody's like, so you're saying the whole part goes through the arm part? Like it was easy. So what I tell people is, okay, how do you tie it to a And the symbol doesn't have to be complicated. I'll show you one more on my desk. So this is a note I have. It says, ask for more. Um, I wrote it August 27th, 2020. And I wrote it because I was finding myself undervaluing my work. I was mm. tempted to undervalue what I do in negotiations and business meetings. And so I said, you know what? I need a reminder to ask for more. This isn't sexy. This isn't hooky. It's real easy for people to go, okay, John, I can't write soundtracks because you're a writer, so you can write. I'm like, that's not creative. Like that's not, no one would, that's, that, no one would put that on a t-shirt. But for me, I see it a hundred times a day. So when I'm tempted, so again, in a negative way, undervalue what I do. I see this note card and go, oh, wait a second. Remember, ask for more, ask for more, ask for more. I've seen this thousands of times, and this helps me remember a soundtrack I'm trying to live out. That's so cool, man. I think 
the 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 connection from the soundtracks to the symbols is very powerful. I remember in the book he talked about uh, driving with dollar coins. Was dollar, uh, yeah, yeah, dollar yeah. coins. Yeah, and got, it, was, I, it helped you quit uh, texting while you drove. I've got so many in this drawer right now. I have so many in my closet. <laughs> like I have, my wife keeps threatening to get rid of them. I'm like, you can't. That's yeah. a symbol. That's a symbol. So yeah, I yeah. am surrounded by coins. Yeah, you talked about. Although another uh, one, like an acorn, an acorn is a symbol for me. I have, I have a lot of acorns because the interesting thing about an acorn is this represents eighty feet. Like there's eighty mm. feet of tree in this. Mm. There's you know thousands of pounds. But here's the thing it'll never turn into a tree. It lost its chance. And I remember this, that we never lose our chance. You mm. never lose your potential. You're always able to tap into it if you'll do the work. And so this acorn reminds me like this, this is part of a forest and now it mm. fits in the palm of my hand. And so anytime I'm stuck and going, well, I've missed my chance or missed my opportunity. I'm not an acorn. Like I still mm. got potential. I can still tap in. So like for me, I, you know, I try to live out the books so that I can talk about them authentically. Wow. Um, for folks watching this, I think we kind of went to, to the symbols and kind of kind of towards the, the, the end of the book, the affirmation and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, for those folks that are watching this and they're like, you know what, I, I struggle with overthinking. I sh maybe maybe there's some shame that they struggle with. Maybe there's sure. some some uh, some trauma they've experienced. Um, let's talk about how the, 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 the kind of the, the first part where we talk about, hey, how do you kind of turn down those negative soundtracks? And it seems like. You, you go through this uh, thought experiment where you, where you ask yourself, like, are, are these things absolutely true that you're, that you're oh, telling yeah. yourself? And letting your mind go to that place and then probably say, no, it's not as bad as you made it out to be. Um, it almost reminds me of the book. I don't know if you ever read the book, uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F. And it's the similar thing, oh, yeah. like, when, when, you're, when, you're tr when you're overthinking, like, okay, let's go to that worst-case scenario. Yeah. And when you think of the worst case scenario in any situation, you probably go, okay, that's probably not going to happen. And even if it does, it's still not the end of the world. Can we talk to those folks right now who are maybe struggling with overthinking, struggling with the shame, the negative soundtracks, the, ah, I just, I don't, I don't think I'm good enough. I should, I don't, I'm not worth it. I don't know how to earn more. I don't, right. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and what's some words that you would give to them? Yeah, I mean, the the three questions you ask uh, around a broken soundtrack. And if you want to find out if you have one, um, here's a 30-second activity. Write down a goal. Write down a desire. Write down a hope. Write down a wish. It can be something small. I want to start a podcast. It can be, I want to write a book. I want to move to San Diego. I want to ask that person out. I want to get another job. Whatever. Write down a wish and then listen to the first thoughts that come next. Listen hmm. to your reaction. Because <laughs> every reaction is an education. And if your reaction is you're too old, who are you to do that? You'd never be able to pull it off. YouTube's too complicated. That's for young people, whatever. If it's not positive, it's probably a broken soundtrack. So when you find one, you ask it three questions. Number one, is it true? Is the story I'm telling myself about myself true? One of the greatest mistakes you can make is assuming all your thoughts are true. And we do that. We think, cause I had the thought it must be a fact. So the first question, is it true? Second question, is it helpful? Is it helpful? Because there's some things that are true that aren't helpful. Like it might be true. You don't know how to do a podcast right now, but if you tell yourself that a hundred times a day, is that helpful? Like if you tell yourself a hundred times a day, I don't know how to do a podcast. I don't know how to like, do you feel encouraged at the end of that or discouraged? So is it helpful? Third question is, is it kind in simplest terms? If you said it to a friend, would they still want to be a friend? Um, and what's interesting in doing a lot of podcasts about this, 
often what happens is in the middle, it turns from a book discussion into a podcast host discussion. We start talking about the podcast host and I was on a podcast and the guy got quiet when I said, is it kind idea? And he said, Oh no. And I said, what? And he said, well, I've had the number one podcast in my space for the last nine months. And I've been telling myself, you're just lucky. You're just lucky. You're just lucky. And he said, if a friend came over and they had worked on a podcast for nine months, I'd never say that to them. So why am I wow. saying it to myself? So those are the three questions. And if you can't say yes to those three questions, it's something you need to retire. Wow. That's good. Yeah, man. That That is, uh, I think, a, a lot of people needed that true, kind helpful and i like how you paralleled it to like if you had if you were to say this to a friend oh yeah they'd, they'd hate friend? you they'd never go to coffee with you like imagine if you imagine if you texted a friend that negative statement as many times as you tell yourself like imagine if it like say it like we're working on a book on a soundtracks for teenagers because so many parents have said hey wait a second wait a second if I could have learned this when I was 14, it would have changed my life. So me and my two high school daughters are writing a book about soundtracks for teenagers. And we've been talking about, you know, if you as a teenager tell yourself, um, I failed my last exam, I failed my last exam, I failed my last exam, as you study for the next one, is that is that helpful? It's not. And then you go, is it kind? If you texted, if one of my daughters texted one of their friends a hundred times one day and said, hey, remember you failed your last exam, remember you failed your last exam, like that person would be like, this is a crazy person I need to block. Like they're so mean. So then why do we allow ourselves to do it to ourselves? And I think the problem is most people don't understand they get to choose their thoughts. Most people think a thought is something they have, not something they hone. And when you discover that you have the power and the permission to choose what you think, like that's when the game changes. Wow. Um, that's so good, man. The, the, the chat is like, yo, this is powerful. The, 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 brain emoji the emoji uh -huh. explode yeah so this is this is good um can can we kind of connect this to the ethos of our faith and sure. why this is important because i think what i see in many uh, christian circles is that we kind of go to two extremes one extreme is uh the the hyper uh prosperity and the other extreme is the hyper poverty one extreme is you just you deserve a Bentley. Yeah. You deserve yeah. these things, right? And the other side is you're a sinner. You deserve hell, and that's that's all yeah. you're deserving of. And it, it seems like we don't talk about this healthy middle ground that that we're talking about here, which is it's 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 all connected. And and, and to me, it's out of an understanding of the gospel and the good news of Jesus that mm -hmm. I should be more kind to myself because you measure the value of something based on what people are willing to pay for it. And Jesus laid down his life for me. That's the ultimate sacrifice. Therefore, my life is valuable. Um, how would you glue some of these ideas to folks who are coming from the from, from being followers of Jesus, but maybe they're wrestling with it from a theological framework? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'd look at it like, uh, what does Christ say? He says, love others as you love yourself. If you don't love you, you can't love anyone else. Like that's just, that's the bottom line. And unfortunately, in the church, we've edited out that last part, the love yourself. I mm. see people have shirts that say, love God, love people. And that's mm. great. You did two thirds. But if you don't love yourself, yeah. you can't love other people. Like, and that's not a like a spiritual list, like, yeah. oh, self-care. Like, it, that's just biblical. Like yeah. Jesus says, as you've loved yourself, if you hate yourself, you cannot love your neighbor. I didn't say that. Christ said that. So that behooves us to go, okay, 
well, let me make sure that I love myself so that I can love others so that, and it's not like you have to do one perfectly, then you can start the other one. They're all happening at the same time. As far as like where our thought life impacts that, I mean, Romans 12, two says, do not conform to the pattern in this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Come on. Like your mind is transformed. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing and perfect will. I mean, Proverbs 23, seven says, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So the, the idea that your thoughts matter and your thoughts have power, like that's not unique to me. Um, you know, it, that's not, you know, something new. That's something that there's so many biblical passages that talk about that. I mean, think about how Philippians four, eight says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so for me, our thought life, there's so many verses that your thought life becomes your life life. Like, and if you can remember that, then you'll actually invest in it. Then you'll, you know, the, the challenge is your thoughts turn into your actions, turn into your results. And most people over-focus on their actions and try to white knuckle them and never yeah. deal with the underlying thoughts that are steering the whole ship. And then they go, oh, why do I keep? And so it matters. In, before I go to the idea of therapy and, and counseling kind of playing a, a part in it, um, there, the, the great modern philosopher, uh, Mike Tyson, had this quote that I thought was really good. He said it on Valuetainment. He said, self-love is discipline. You have to, mm -hmm. if you love yourself, you have to love yourself enough to discipline yourself. And I think discipline totally. starts with, 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 with your thought life and what are you thinking about? Because again, like you said, that's going to determine how you feel, how you feel is going to determine your actions. Your actions are going to determine your habits and your habits is who you are. <laughs> the things you do every day yeah. is, is, is who yeah. you are. Um, what, what, what role do you think, uh, therapy and counseling can play into this for folks that, that, that maybe they don't even know how broken their soundtracks are because they've inherited them through traumatic events or through uh, family just, just of voids. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean like the simplest term, like go to therapy, like a hundred percent. Like I love therapy. I've done a bajillion types of therapy, like group therapy, um, couples therapy, individual therapy, like therapy weekends. Like, so I'm a pro therapy, like a hundred percent. Um, you know, for me, I meet with a guy named Chip Dodd once a month. He wrote a book called Voice of the Heart, which is just brilliant. Um, and I meet with him about once a month to go over, okay, here's what I'm working on. Here's what I'm excited about. Here's what I feel challenged by. So I don't know that there's ever a time when you're done with needing other people to encourage you and tell you the truth. Like, I don't know that you're ever finished with that. And so for me, yeah, I, I think therapy can be a big part of any health journey, whether, you know, whether it's something you go, wow, I've got some broken soundtracks about my body image, or I've got broken soundtracks about my career or my marriage or whatever. I think therapy is incredibly valuable. And I, I think it, the big thing is like a good therapist, like there's plenty of, you know, you know, for me, like, I think if you're going right now, okay, well, how do I even find one? Like start with your church, like start with somebody you trust, you know, somebody like versus just going, I'm going to find somebody to get advice from. There's a ton of people you can get advice from that maybe aren't going to give you the kind of advice that's really going to help you. So start with, you know, a relationship you already have and then go from there. I have a Christian therapist that I see every other week. Um, his name is Dr. Rudy and man, that dude is worth his weight in gold. Totally, dude. He's totally. So good. And yeah, of course. The beautiful part is because he's a Christian and he's a follower of Jesus, we 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 kind of always go back to this idea of like, hey, don't let's not get too consumed with the earthly scorecard. 
it matters, but let's let's think big picture as well in terms of your family, in terms of all these other ideas. And one of the quotes you dropped on me one day, you said, and, and forgive me if I misquoted, I wrote it down, and so I'm going to try to remember, you said, being present is about being nostalgic about the moment. Yeah, being present, uh, learning to be present is uh, being nostalgic about the moment you're still in versus looking back <laughs> a week later and going, oh, remember when we went to the beach? Like, you're nostalgic as you're actually in it. And so that's, you know, because a lot of people can look back a year and go, I oh, remember when my kids were that age or like, but mm -hmm. to actually be present in the moment and to soak it in and yeah. to be, you know, have your senses locked in like that, that's, that's the discipline. I mean, that's yeah. the, like, that's part of the discipline. Yeah. And I think for me, when, I, when you said that, um, I, it, it's, it's helped me that, that idea has helped me a lot in terms of just the moments I have with my six month old. And totally. just hanging out with her and her falling asleep on my arms and her napping. And, and sometimes as, as a creative person, as a business person, you're always thinking about that to-do list. You're always thinking about that thing you got to get yeah. done or you always got a phone in your hand. And, and just, just allowing myself to slow down and be nostalgic about this moment right here has yeah. been super duper helpful. Um, for, and maybe that's not something most people deal with, but I think especially creative most, and, and hyper-driven people. Are you asking do most people deal with being absent? Yeah, our whole like our whole culture is about being mm, absent. Okay. Like I was at I was in Costa Rica, and we were staying there with my family, look like overlooking the ocean, and like it was amazing. There was like an infinity pool at this resort. It was gorgeous, and I looked up, and every single person was on their phone, and I realized mm. if this view doesn't stand a chance, none of us do. Like, so think about your phone has every form of entertainment, every book ever written, every news. So like you're up against pretty bad odds as far as being absent. So for me, mm. like one of the things I do is I don't bring my phone to bed. Like I leave it in the kitchen because if it's on my nightstand, my arm automatically goes out there. I'm just not strong enough. So like discipline wise, if I can leave it in the kitchen, then we're good. Like I don't, my arm's not that long. I can't reach the kitchen. But if I bring it to <laughs> if I bring it to my room, forget it. I'm gonna be absent. So yeah, I think I think absence is the norm right now. Um, like okay. something I said the other day was like, Facebook has fifty three thousand seven hundred employees, and every one of them's job is to distract Ruslan. Like mm. every one of their job, like even if it doesn't say that in their in their job description, the secretary, the developer, the coder, like their whole job, their business model. Mm. is okay let's get ruslan's time let's get ruslan's mm. time like think think about this way like dating apps don't want you to get married because you break their business model a dating app's goal is you <laughs> never get married so that you stay on their dating app and continue to use it like their goal isn't your lifelong love like i think mm. if you're single you can use them that's not a judgment at all like if i was single that'd be modern times for me but you have to know too their business model isn't you getting off their dating app and having a long committed marriage. Like that's not how they make money. And their goal is to make money. So once you start to go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This phone is a distraction machine. Like mm. how do I have some good boundaries with it where I use it, but I don't get used by it. That's good, man. Um, John, this is this has been amazing, man. I, I hope the people watching this Go scoop up the new book, Soundtracks. Um, the audio is is fire. I listen to the audio. Right. I, don't, I don't read super fast. But, guys, check out John's book. Give him a shout on social. Um, you're pretty active on Instagram, Twitter, the whole bit. Um, do you have any final, any final thoughts for us, any final words for us before we get out of here? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I did an interview from the book. Her name's Colleen Berry on my podcast. I have a podcast called All It Takes is a Goal. 
And she lost her job as a cinematographer and had to like deliver pizzas and be a secretary. And at the secretary position, she changed her mindset. And now she's the CEO of that company. So if you're discouraged right now and you need an encouraging mm. conversation, like Colleen Barry is fire. She's on one of the episodes of my podcast, All It Takes is a Goal. So I'd say go listen to that if you want a little bit more encouragement. Ladies and gentlemen, John Acuff. Here we go. Here we go. Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate you, man. This was awesome. incredible. See you, bud. Kingstream Entertainment. Bruce Lawn. Hey, thank you so much for making it to the end of this video. Remember to hit that like button and make sure you subscribe. I wanted to tell you about a free upcoming course I am putting together at mastermyhabits.com. When you sign up right now, you'll be the first to be notified about the course. And in the meantime, you'll immediately get access to a playlist going over my journey on how I went from addiction to freedom forming habits. So make sure to hit that link in the description. I'll see you on the next video.